Well, good evening. Let us all stand as we begin our time of worship. It's good to be in chapel. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. Our first Wednesday chapel for last trimester of the year. And it's good to have a good friend of mine, uh, one of our local pastors and my pastor, uh, Reverend Jason Day from Eastboro Church of the Nazarene. He's here with his family. Let's welcome him. He'll be bringing the word tonight. Let us, let us worship. Let us pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for um, being with us in our classes already. And uh, we just love you, God. And we just want to know more of you. And we are hungry and we are thirsty for more of you. We love you, Jesus. God, thank you for today and thank you for this time. It's our prayer, Lord Father, that you have your way in us. Give you our hearts. We give you our everything. Lord. I pray, Father, for as we open up our ears and open up our hearts to Your Word tonight, Lord Father, speak to us. I pray all these things in Your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. God bless you. It's good to be here with you this evening. And uh, I've got some familiar faces out here, and uh, I promised that I wouldn't, you know, re-preach the message I preached on Sunday tonight, so that uh, those who are in our church um, at Eastboro wouldn't have to, uh, to listen through me again. So how are we doing? All right? Students, you guys, you guys interactive? Hey, Jen. You guys interactive? You guys talk a little bit? Yeah? Good? Um, I, I remember uh, as a young child, maybe about four years old, I specifically remember seeing the back seat of my mom's silver Pontiac Sunbird as she would roll into the Union 76 station. And, and as she pulled up to the pump, her front tires would roll over one of those uh, little tubes. And uh, the pressure of those tires would make a little bell ring, and a guy would come out in coveralls, right? And uh, he'd come out, he'd come up to the window. My mom would have to roll it down, right? She didn't push a button. She actually had to roll the window down. And uh, he'd say, ma'am, would you like a fill-up? And she'd say, yes, please. And, and so he'd go over to the, the pump, and he'd get the nozzle, and he'd open up the gas tank, put the pump in. Then he'd say, ma'am, would you pop your hood? And he'd walk around the front of the car, and he'd lift the hood up. He'd check the oil and the other fluids. He'd, he'd shut the hood. He'd get out his little squeegee. He'd clean off the, the, the windshield there. Go over, finish up, put the nozzle back. Come to the window, say, ma'am, will that be a cash or charge? $11.26, filled up your tank, right? Those were the days. And, um, and my mom would give him the money. He'd, he'd, he'd make her change right there. My mom would never have to move from the driver's seat. Entire time, right? So what we call it a full service gas station. Now those, those have gone the way of the dinosaurs these days, right? I remember, fast forward about uh, another dozen years or so, whenever I started driving, I grew up in Naples, Florida, and in our town, there was one novelty gas station uh, that was full service. Every other gas station was self-service, as most are today. And uh, that one gas station was one where, where I, I guess the wealthy people would go when they didn't want to get out of their car and pump their gas, and you know, they paid a little extra for the gas because uh, someone else was going to take care of them. The idea of, of that full service, uh, what's interesting tonight I want to share a little bit with you um, is what, it, what it's like for us to be living full service lives in a self-service world. Because when we look around at the culture in which we live, especially here in North America, we live in, in a time and a place where, where things are, are really kind of self-service and self-serving. That's kind of the prevalent attitude that we find in our world today. You know, these ideas that, you know, I'm looking out for number one, and guess what? I'm number one. 
You know, the thought as to, um, I got to get to the top, and if I step on a few people on my way there, well, guess what? That's just part of life. That's just what's accepted, right? And so these, these attitudes of, of kind of these self-serving, it's a survival of the fittest, a, a me first type of a mentality. Um, sometimes we see this self-service attitude uh, when we're looking for kind of the, the easy way, you know, the quick way to get something done. Um, somehow that we can move through something and kind of work the system. Uh, a lot of times we see this self-service and, and this idea that we don't want to be inconvenienced, right? When it comes to life, when it comes to doing the things, you know, we kind of have plans for ourselves. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to have any curveballs thrown in there. And so it's that kind of self-serving attitude. Uh, this idea of what's in it for me. This idea is that, you know what, this, this better be my expectations, because I have expectations going into to pretty much everything. Um, we also see this, this idea that I, I kind of want to be in control. We often want to be in control of things in our lives. And, and sometimes it shows up in this sort of entitled mentality. This idea that, that I, I kind of deserve this. You know, I deserve things to work out better. I deserve things to work out in a particular way. And so oftentimes in our world we see this in, in kind of the corporate world, right? This kind of pushing ahead and clawing forward, me first mentality. We see this also um, sometimes in politics, naturally. Sometimes we see this in family life, where people get a little more concerned about what's in it for them. They kind of forget spouses or kids and those type of things because they're pushing so hard moving forward. And, and guys, we see this in the church as well. The church is not exempt from this kind of self-service mentality or attitude. And even, even we can take it one step further, for those of us who are in ministry or going into ministry, ministers, sometimes we see this in our own lives. My, my journey into ministry, um, I, w- I was a really committed student um, growing up, and, and my dream was to be a medical doctor. That was my plan. I put everything in place and uh, worked hard to, to really make that happen, even, even was accepted medical school. And that was my plan. That's, that's what I was going to do, and I worked hard to get there. And uh, in the midst of, of that journey, God kind of began to speak into my life, and, and I, I kind of gave God a little nod, but, but I had my plan, and I was working my plan. And God continued to speak into my life and continued to speak into my life and, and made it very clear that he's calling me into full-time ministry. And, and what I did is what maybe some of you have done as you're experiencing this call. You decided to negotiate a little bit with God, right? And so that's, that's what I did. I was like, God, you know, my plan is uh, to be a medical doctor. I've been working hard at this. I think it's a good thing. We need more doctors in the world, right? I'll be a good doctor. So let me be a medical doctor. And I tell you what, I, I will do medical mission trips. You know what I mean? I'll give of my time and my energy. I'll serve, serve others. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. We can make this work, you and me, God. And, and what's interesting is the more I try to pursue that and continue to pursue uh, medicine, the more God kind of got a hold of my heart and, and got a hold of my heart and then began to thump me over the head a bit and, and made it realize, for me personally, my experience, it was a call away from my dream of medicine, being a doctor, as much as it was a call into ministry. Um, and so I realized that God was, was trying to do something in my life and, and call me into ministry. And so as I kind of processed through that, I, I, went to, I got to this point where I was like, okay, God, I'm all in. I remember I, I was kneeling at the foot of my bed, and I, I prayed. I said, okay, God, I, I've heard you. I mean, this is like a two- or three-year journey that I was running from God on this. And I was like, 
God, I'm going I'm to make that commitment. I literally wrote out a covenant with God. You know what I mean? I said, God, if you tell me to go, I'll go. If you tell me to stay, I'll stay. You know, if you tell me to, to sit aside, you know, a little Wesley action in there. And I said, I'll do that. And, and, and I wrote out this covenant, and I said, this is what it is. I made this commitment. And I honestly believed in my heart that once I made that, right? Here, I've been fighting God for two, three years. Once I made that commitment, God was just going to lay it all out for me. Everything was going to fall into place. And yet it didn't, <laughs> Right? And, and, and I got this, this little kind of self-service mentality, guys. You know, I was like, come on, God. Look at what I gave up. You know, a little bit of pride there, you know. Look what I gave up. I gave up medical school to go into ministry. Surely, God, you can show up in some way and make things clear, make things easy, make things smooth for me. Because look at what I sacrificed. You know what God reminded me of in those times? Um, what about what I sacrificed for you? You know? My son, Jesus, right? You know, think about what Jesus sacrificed for me. And then, then suddenly, you know, you, you get pretty convicted in that moment. Jesus gave his all. And here I'm worried because my life has been a little inconvenienced as to what I would like it to have become, what I'd like to see. So, so that kind of self-service mentality kind of can seep into to our thinking, even as ministers and those preparing for, for ministry. And so how do we live this full-service life in, in a world where we're bombarded with this idea of this self-serving attitude, this self-serving mentality? And really, what is that full-service life? Full-service life, uh, as I'm describing, is this full devotion, being fully devoted to serving and glorifying Jesus Christ in our world. That this, this full devotion to serving the kingdom and being totally sold out and committed to glorifying God through Jesus Christ in the world in which we find ourselves. This idea of full-service living, and we see this best modeled in none other than Jesus. No surprise for us, right? When the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verse 8, he made this very, very clear as we looked at, at, at Christ. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness, being made in human likeness rather, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, Jesus understood this idea of full service living. Jesus understood what it means to be fully devoted to serving the kingdom and fully devoted to glorifying God. And if we are going to heed Jesus' call to us to come, follow me, then we need to make sure that we are fully devoted and fully committed as we are following Jesus into the kingdom and as we are serving that kingdom and glorifying God as well. And, and, and so that, that's the call. I want to invite you guys as we kind of dig into this to open up to Acts chapter 6, if you would. We're going to look at the life of a, a very passionate, very devoted Christ follower by the name of Stephen. And uh, uh, Stephen, is, as most of you probably know, is the first recorded martyr of, of Christianity. Um, a little bit about Stephen. Was, was Stephen a big preacher man? No, he wasn't, right? At the time, that would have been Peter. Peter was kind of the, the big preacher guy at that time. Was, was Stephen a big missionary guy? No. No, and a few chapters later in Acts, we're going to run into kind of the big, uh, you know, missionary guy for the church who was Paul. This Stephen was, was, was none of these kind of big roles. In fact, Stephen's role was that of a food server, right? 
He was one who, who served food to the widows. An important ministry in the church, but, but probably what you wouldn't say is at the kind of top of the list whenever you're looking at kind of the different ministries taking place in the early church. He was a man who was simply serving God, serving the kingdom, serving his church, just like, like us, just like many of us, as we find our roles um, week in and week out, serving in some capacity, serving the, the, the local church. Scripture tells us that he was a wise man. Um, he was one who was respected by others. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, he was, uh, Stephen was kind of a church man, right? He was a recent convert. Of course, at this time in history, pretty much everyone was a recent convert, right? This is pretty much the early church. So he was a recent convert, but he was a man who understood what it meant to participate in the life of the local church and to participate in, in serving um, others. In many ways, he was like many of us. So Acts chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 2. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but if you guys will follow along with me, um, hear this. This is God's word proclaimed for you this evening. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the twelve, that's the disciples, they called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So here we, we learn of Stephen. Stephen's one who was selected. The scripture tells us he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with wisdom. Let's jump down to verse um, verse 9. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Then the high priest asked, Stephen, are these accusations true? And then we have a response from Stephen, and I'm not going to go through all of it this evening, but if you have time this week to read through it. Uh, Stephen basically proclaims the good news in this. You know, he shares the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's pick up again down in verse 51. Verse 51, this is Stephen. He's responding still to the high council here. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He told them, look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears. 
They began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen was a man who understood what it meant to live a full-service life. He's fully devoted to the kingdom, fully devoted to glorifying God in all that he said and all that he did. If we look at Stephen, how did he respond to his circumstances? He proclaimed the good news of Jesus persuasively, right? And convincingly, obviously, it seems, because people were coming up against him, stirred up some contention. So obviously, the boldness with which he was preaching and teaching and proclaiming that good news had an impact because other people were unhappy with it. And so, so then we had this conflict. Um, so these people argued with him, and, and they couldn't get anywhere with him. So finally decided to have him brought before the council and charged. Uh, they brought up false accusations against him and brought him before the council. And we'd have to say that this probably wasn't a real smooth day for Stephen. Didn't really probably go the way that he had anticipated or planned when he's out there sharing the good news. And now he's being accused, and he's brought before the high council. And ultimately what happens to him, is, as we've read, is that he loses his life. But in the midst of losing his life, he does not ever let go of what it means to boldly proclaim the good news of Christ. And as he is dying, the words of God's goodness are coming off of his lips. The truth of Christ is coming off of his lips. Stephen's actions, he could have easily slipped into maybe a self-service mode, couldn't he? I mean, he was doing the right things. He was doing the church stuff. He was serving the widows. He was proclaiming the good news. He could have got into a little bit of a self-serving mentality whenever things started getting a little more heated. Whenever the controversy began to stir up a little more. Whenever he might have come to realize that he was facing possibly his execution, his death at that time. So he could have easily kind of slipped into a bit of a self-serving mentality. You know, wait a second. Listen, listen, God, I'm the one who's given up so much to come and and proclaim your truth of Christ. You know, can't we work this out? Shouldn't things move a little more smoothly for me? But rather than that, we see that Stephen continued to live that full-service life. Even as he faced death, he remained devoted to serving and glorifying Jesus Christ. And here we sit some 2,000 years later, and we share the story of Stephen, along with millions of other Christ followers all around the world over the centuries who share the story of Stephen. And as we do that, we're reminded of a couple things. One is that this story somewhat holds us accountable, doesn't it? As we look at one like Stephen, who's willing to be serving the church and doing what, what he was called to do and doing what he was able to do, and yet when he was faced with, with the opportunity to kind of slink away and get self-consumed and, and kind of save his own hide, instead he continued to be bold in his ministry and courageous for his Christ. And so that kind of holds us accountable in a way. It reminds us, whenever we're working through the things we're working through, whether it's class or whether it's serving at a local church, and when we have frustrations and discouragements and disappointments, and things aren't quite coming together as, as, as they should, it kind of holds us accountable to remind us, you know what, we continue serving, we continue serving faithfully, we continue to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, regardless of what we might face. So, so Stephen's story holds us accountable. Stephen's story also does something else. It, it should inspire us, right? 
It should be something that we can look on and be encouraged as we see of this one who is not unlike us, who is serving in his church, who is serving the kingdom, who is living for Christ, and yet things did not go smoothly for Stephen. And yet we can be inspired whenever things aren't going so smoothly for us. This evening I want to get very, very practical about this idea of how do we live a full-service life in a self-service world as we look at the life of Stephen. What's interesting is I was preparing this message and processing through this and thinking and, and being led. I, I was thinking, you know, well, I'm talking to Bible college students and professors and, and those who, who already, you know, they, they've, they've got this, they've come into this, you know, they're, they're, they're in this for Christ. I mean, that's what we're here for. But, but the more I was preparing and praying, the more God was saying, hey, you know what? We all need to be reminded of some of these very fundamental truths, these foundational things to help sustain us as we're walking through ministry. And so when we think about this idea of how can I live a fully devoted life, glorifying God and serving his kingdom, there are two, two things that we really want to keep in mind. The first is this, is we need to understand my life is not my own, that it is indeed a gift from God. My life is not my own. And we've got to come to grips with this, this reality that our lives aren't ours, that our lives are simply a gift from God. We've been entrusted with them. Because what happens is, just by human nature, humans, we are accustomed to manipulating now, oftentimes when we talk about manipulating, we have very negative connotations of, about manipulation, and, and, and th some of those are true. But when I'm talking about manipulating, I want us to be thinking about just how we as humans tend to um, live our lives out in the world in which we live. Let me give you an example of, of the fact that we tend to manipulate things. Something very simple is, is we go and we mine ore from the, the rocks, from the mountains. And then we take that and we refine it and we get metals out of that. And then we take those metals and we go and we build minivans and, and uh, jet, jet planes and, you know, iPhones, right? And, and that's what we do. We take things and we manipulate them to get something else. That's part of human nature, right? God's gifted us in that way. Um, but, but one of those things that is dangerous about that is then we have this tendency to always want to be in control. Because we are accustomed by human nature to manipulate things and move things around and make things work out. And so we have this, this temptation to always want to be in control because we are kind of accustomed to being in control and used to being in control. And yet, as we look at our lives, we have to step back and remember that this life that we have is not our own. It is a gift from God. And as such, it means that we can't always be in control of what our life is going to be and how it is going to unfold. Just like Stephen on that particular day was it in control of the fact that he was going to be executed later that afternoon. And so we need to come to terms with this. And not only our, our physical life, you know, God created us with a purpose. We did not choose to be born, right? Life is a gift. But not just our physical life, but also our spiritual life. The abundant life here and now that we experience through Christ Jesus, the eternal life that is beginning even now and will carry us throughout eternity as we celebrate with Christ. And I would imagine that most of us here this evening would say, yeah, you know what, Pastor Jason, I get that. You know, I understand my life is not my own, that my life is a gift from God. I mean, that's why I'm here at Bible college, right? Because I get that. I understand that. And that's why I'm doing all that I can to help live out and, and honor the gift that God has given me. God has called you to serve his church and his kingdom, and you say, yes, my life is not my own. It's a gift from God, and that's why I'm here, and that's why I'm studying, that's why I'm preparing, that's why I'm serving. Um, so so we, we understand that, but there's a flip side to all of this. The second thing not only understand that our life is not our own, it's a gift from God, but we also must recognize that we must give our life to Christ. 
And when I, when I say that, I imagine that most all of us sit back and think, oh yeah, well, I gave my life to Christ. And we, we use this, this phrase, right? We think back, you know, at church camp when I was in third grade, I went down, I knelt at the altar, and I gave my life to Christ. And so we talk about that. And again, all of us gathered here, we're all here for ministry, seeking God's best for our life and the way that he's directing us. So all of us will probably say, yeah, yes, I recognize I, I give my life to Christ. I've given my life to Christ. But I want us to stop and think through this a little bit because it's easy to talk about giving our life to Christ. It's a whole, whole other thing entirely when it comes to living our life every single day with the reality that we've given it to Christ. Each and every single day of our lives that we have yielded our lives to Christ. Not just some of our lives, not just our vocation, not just our studies, not just the work we do on Sundays at, at a local church, but every last bit of our lives that we have given our lives to Christ. And this is really kind of the flip side of the salvation coin. If we think of the idea of, of salvation as, as recognizing and accepting um, Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you know, accepting the forgiveness of, of, of our sins, this idea of recognizing that, that this is a gift from God, this life. This is really kind of the flip side of that salvation coin. It's a side that, that helps us understand it's not just about what we receive from God, but it's about what we give to God. Not just that we receive the life and, and salvation and forgiveness from him, but what is it that we contribute? What are we turning over to God? Uh, my beautiful wife Monica is here with, with some of our kids, four of our six kids. We have six kids, six kids in six years, age 16 to 10, so pretty craziness. But, but anyways, my beautiful wife Monica, she decided that she wanted a 15-passenger van. I have no idea why anyone would want a 15-passenger van. Yeah? Yeah, six kids, exactly. So Monica's thought was if I had a 15-passenger van, not only could I tote all of our kids around, but, but we're one of those houses where we always have extra kids at our house. And so we towed all those kids. When family's visiting, we could all be in the same vehicle to, to go and do things. And so, so Monica decided she wanted a 15-passenger van. So we looked around, we looked around. Finally, we found a 15-passenger van, bought a 15-passenger van. I gave it to Monica, right? And Monica could have just grabbed the keys, said, thanks, honey, jumped in and driven the van to Canada. And gone on with her life. And, uh, and I would have been stuck home with six kids, right? Um, but she didn't do that. No, she received that van, that, that van that was a gift, right? She received that van, she realized this van has the opportunity, the potential to contribute in a positive way to our family life. And that's exactly what it's done. You know what I mean? She took the kids around, picked them up, take them from school and here and there. And when family's in town, take them around, toting kids back and forth to youth and all that fun stuff. And so she sees that opportunity to, to use the van and contribute. And thus, in a way, she kind of gives the van back to the family, right? So something she receives, but something that she gives back. And the same is true in our life with Christ. God gives you your life as a free gift. And he gives you that forgiveness. You enter into to that, that life of salvation. And then in turn, you say, God, I recognize this free gift of life that you've given me. And now I want to turn it over to you. I want to contribute it to the kingdom, to your works, to your glory, that I might step in and that I might live out what you've called me to live out and who you've called me to be. 
And so when we think about the idea of accepting God's gift, that leads to our salvation. But this idea of giving our life back to God leads to our sanctification, really. It opens us up and puts us in that position, that, that place where, where God can do and the Holy Spirit can do that work of sanctification in our life. And that's why it's important that we understand that, that this is something that we have to do daily and regularly. Because we can get busy in our studies and in our work and in our, our ministries to the point where we are kind of running a lot on our own power. I'll tell you right now, you will not sustain your ministry running on your own power. It just, it does not work that, that way at all. And so we have this idea, Jesus saying, take up your cross daily and follow after me. So we come to this point in our lives where we recognize that not only have we received this, this, this life from God and this call from God, but that we have the opportunity to yield all of ourselves back to him, fully and completely, every area of our lives. No nooks and crannies kept away. And we submit it completely and we submit it fully. And just as Christ said, pick up that cross daily and follow after me. We say each and every single day, we submit, we yield, we pick up our cross and we follow you, Jesus. And I'll tell you what, as, as a minister who's been in the church for many years, this is one of the things that can be the most subtly challenging in your ministry. Because as you get busy and as you're working and you're doing all the good church stuff and all the good God stuff, there are times where you realize that you kind of get in this, this mindset sometimes, this self-serving mindset. As a God, well, why aren't things just clicking together for me? And you look down at the ministry down the road and things seem to be awesome over there, right? And yet you're facing challenges and you're having issues and, and there, there's different things that are happening. It seems to be pulling you down. You're like, wait a second, God, but I'm all in for you. And we get that kind of self-serving mentality once again and we allow that to creep into our lives and we don't intentionally mean to do it, but if we're not intentionally submitting ourselves to Christ every single day, that can easily creep in to our lives and our homes, our ministries, and our churches. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is the one thing, guys, that will sustain you in ministry. It is the one thing that whenever you have to face conflict and issues and things you just want to pull your hair out about, you know, and petty issues within your church or within your ministries that you think, come on, there, you know, there's a much bigger thing going on here. Why do we have to deal with these things? Being filled by the Holy Spirit is the one thing that will sustain you. When you have criticism coming from people, when you have conflict amongst your staff, whatever it might be, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the one thing that sustains you. And sometimes we think of this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit as being kind of a cup, and the Holy Spirit fills us up. But I think a better picture, a better image of that, is, is that we're actually kind of like a cylinder, like a pipe. And instead of just the Holy Spirit filling us up and we have the Holy Spirit within us, we're like this cylinder, this pipe that's plunged into the living water that is Jesus Christ. And that living water is flowing. And so we are being filled, we are always filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are continuously and constantly being refreshed and renewed by the, 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 the freshness of the Holy Spirit, right? We stay filled in the Holy Spirit, but it's always fresh and it's always new because our God is an active living God who's seeking to do new things in your life and through your life and in your ministry and in your people and in your church and those with whom he's entrusted you. And that's what God is all about. 
And so if I can encourage you one thing as you're preparing for ministry and as you're serving in ministry, as you're seeking God, is to remember each and every single day that part of, part of your life, part of your walk, part of what it means to follow me when Jesus said that, is that every day we yield ourselves to Christ. Every day we submit ourselves. Every day we experience a fresh and anew the infilling of the Holy Spirit as it flows in us and as it flows through us. Because that, my friends, is what will indeed sustain you. And that's the life of sanctification. I love the fact that sanctification is, is something that happens at some point in our life and we recognize it and we realize that God is asking something more from us to yield ourselves, but something that doesn't just happen once, but something that continues to happen in our lives. Because I tell you what, it's that refreshing sense of the Holy Spirit in us that helps us be the people God called us to be. Helps us to lead the way God has called us to lead. Helps us to serve the way that Christ has led us to serve. And to live out our call as full as we can. Let's pray. Father God, as we, as we just bow before you tonight, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. Gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who have heard your call in their life, those who have heeded that call, those who are stepping into that call, and who are serving and are continuing to prepare for, for even more service to your kingdom down the road. And God, I pray that you would help each and every single one of the, us, me included, to be reminded of the sustaining power of your Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't get too caught up in, in, in our studies, our work, our finances, our families, whatever it might be, that we forget to plunge ourselves into the living water and hold ourselves there as you flow over us and as you flow through us. And so God, I pray that you would encourage us for those that might be wrestling with some, some issues and some maybe, you know, wait a second, God, look at what I gave up for you. Why, why are there discouragements? Why are there challenges? Why, why, why can't things come together a little more quickly for me? God, I pray that you would bring them a peace and a calm and help them to just turn that over to you. That they would seek you. That they'd yield all of themselves to you. That you might shape them and mold them into the men and women you created them to become. As they step in as they live out all that you've called them to live out and to be. And so we thank you, God, for being with us tonight. We pray that you'll continue to fill us, to shape us, to refresh us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to sustain us as we seek to serve your kingdom and to glorify you. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Christ Jesus, who is the King of all creation. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. 8.15 on the dot.